You're listening to episode number 236 of the Pioneering Today podcast. In today's episode, we are going to be covering herbal teas and specifically choosing the right herb and how to create your own herbal teas not just for pure enjoyment, though many of us do enjoy a good herbal cup of tea, but specifically when you are looking to use it in a medicinal capacity. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. I am your host, Melissa K. Norris, best-selling author of three books, founder of the Pioneering Today Academy, as well as my website, melissaknorris.com, and the blog that goes with it. And I am so thrilled to have you here. Using to use herbs and or spices and create your own natural remedies, as well as an herbal medicine cabinet, is something that many of you have told me that you are super interested in and is one of your goals to do more of in this year, which is why within the Pioneering Today Academy, we already have an e-course and series in there. So if you're a current member, you've already had access to that and have likely went through it on using herbs and creating a natural medicine cabinet. But many of the members said, I want to do even more. And so we are starting in March inside the Academy, a monthly herbal deep dive where we pick one herb and we dive really deep into that herb. And not only on the different ways to use it, medicinal wise, dosing, safety, because there is definitely safety involved when it comes to using herbs medicinally, but as well as tips for how to grow it and to harvest it. So not just use it, but growing it yourself. And so we're going to have an herb featured each month that goes over all of those things starting in March, which is super exciting. But if you are listening to this when this episode releases or close to that before February 19th, then if you get on the wait list for when the Academy actually opens the doors for new members, we're currently closed. I only open the doors for new members a few times a year. If you get on the wait list at melissaknorris.com forward slash wait list and go and sign up there, you are going to get what is normally only a video and lesson and recipe for members on how to make custom immune blending tea. So that's going to go out in the email. Hopefully you're on the list already or get on it right away so that you don't miss that. And then of course, when we do open the doors for the Academy, you will get information on that as well. But for today's episode, because we are going to be diving into this, I am really excited for my guest. And my guest is Cianne from Farmhouse Teas. So you will learn more about Cian and her family and their tea company. They're based out of Oregon in the Pacific Northwest, and you're going to find out more about what they grow and on how much land in order to create their custom teas. But she's going to give us some great tips and breakdown on creating your own herbal teas. Now, in this 
episode, we mentioned several different resources and or links for you to go and grab things for you to start doing this and customizing yourself. So you can go to the show notes, which includes the blog post that goes with this episode and all the resources and links to everything that we're talking about. You can get that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 236, just the number 236, because this is episode number 236 and get all of the links to everything that we're talking about. So without further ado, let's dive in to today's interview. You guys, I am super excited to talk about this topic because a lot of people have interest in this topic and I get a lot of questions. But two, I'm really excited for our guest because not only is she knowledgeable, but I love what she and her family have been doing. So Sienne, my friend, welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast. Thanks for having me, Melissa. Yeah, I'm really excited. So Sienne is also a guest teacher inside the Pioneering Today Academy. So members of the Academy, Academy, you are going to be recognizing Sienne and you're already familiar with her fabulous teaching style. But today we're going to be diving into the number one thing first off that a lot of people don't know or maybe kind of get a little bit wrong when we're talking about using herbs, not just using them culinary wise, because a lot of us cook with herbs. A lot of us have some different audinan herbs in the cupboard, um, but also as medicine. So Sian, kind of what's the difference between, you know, like your regular herb you might pick up at the grocery store, especially, you know, on the aisle where we have a little, little dried bottles of different things for cooking versus using an herb medicinally. Right. So the biggest difference is that you can have sage that you put on your chicken, but you can take that same sage and if you use it medicinally in the right ways, you get a powerful medicine from this common herb. So there's three parts to that. One is the quality and the quantity of the herb that you're using. Like I mentioned, you can put a little bit on your roasted chicken and that's kind of a spice. Or if you keep it for a long period of time in larger amounts, then you end up pulling out the medicinal qualities of the sage. And you also want to use larger amounts of the sage when you're doing that, not just steeping it for longer. And then you also need to use the sage for the right situation. So sage will do certain things but if it's not the right situation, the sage isn't going to work. And I think that oftentimes when people start beginning to use herbs medicinally without having a kind of a foundational understanding, like we're talking about today, they feel like the herbs don't work, but oftentimes it's because one, they may have picked the wrong herb for the situation. Like you said, Mm -hmm. Or two, they take it expecting it to just take one cup of tea and for it to work like it would if you were to take, for example, like an over-the-counter medicine, like one acetaminophen or something like that. But but herbs, they don't work in the same manner. And so I almost feel like a lot of people say, oh, I tried herbs. It just really didn't do anything for me. But I feel like, oh, I don't think you gave it a fair chance or maybe didn't use it in the right way. So I personally love sage uh, for teas when I have something like a cold that I've come down with that has some type of throat aspect. Um, mm-hmm. I really have found sage to be really soothing and helpful for my throat um, specifically. 
but how would you go determining if sage is something that you would maybe want to be using to aid you when you aren't feeling so well with a cold or a flu? Right. So we need to understand herbs and what they do, their medicinal actions, kind of how they affect the body. And we do that using herbal monographs. And that's kind of like this one page in-depth story about an individual herb. I don't know if everyone's familiar with the MSDS sheet for chemicals, but that says it explains what all the chemicals can do and how it can harm you and the safety precautions. And it's essentially the same thing for an herbal monograph. It's going to tell us what the herb does. It's going to tell us the safety precautions, when it's good to use and when it's not good to use. So where do people, like if you're brand new to herbs, where do you recommend that people find this different information? Is there an online resource or is it just you researching and you're you're creating a document for the different herbs yourself with this info? Or is there places where this has already kind of been done? Right. There are some books here and there, but they can be really hard to find. And so it's kind of just gathering from this herbal book or that herbal book or studies online that were done and then kind of putting it together in what's called a materia medica and that's an herbal journal and that kind of includes all of the herbal monographs that i've put together or you can find materia medica is already put together but it's really scattered it's kind of a knowledge that's been lost over time you know our great grandmothers and our grandmothers didn't really pass that information down yeah, I've definitely experienced that. My mom didn't use herbs at all. And I, I don't really know, actually, if my grandmother, my mom's mom, used herbs. Right. So you're right. There's kind of like, you know, I feel like it was really in like the 1940s and in the 1950s that we really started to have what we know as our modern medicine right now was formed. But prior to that, when it was really just herbs was the main thing that that most moms and houses had at their disposal, you know, just really quick and less than a hundred years and a couple of generations, a lot of that, what was considered common info back then has really been lost and it hasn't been passed down and taught sadly. But on the up hand, it's really exciting to see people becoming more and more interested in a lot of this information is now being shared. And you do have to be careful too, you know, with where you're getting your information online and, and diligence. So I always like to research from at least two or three different spots myself um, and just kind of cross reference things. Um, So do you have on the making these sheets, like do you have a template or something like that on the different aspects that you like to record when you're doing yours on each individual herb? Yeah, we have a download on our website that kind of goes over each subject. It's something that can just be filled out as you're studying to make sure you cover all the bases and don't miss something. Okay, perfect. So guys, I will make sure in today's episode, the blog post that accompanies every podcast episode that we have, we'll make sure and have a link in the resource section of that so that if you guys want to go and check that out and grab that, uh, then you can do so. So as we're talking about the importance of making sure that you're picking the right herb for the right ailment. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's something that can sometimes be overlooked as well is the importance of your quality ingredient with right. the herb. So I'd love for you to kind of break that down for us. Yeah, just kind of like with our food, you know, that tomato that we grow in our garden, we pick 
when it's fresh, it's got a lot more nutrients in it than say that one you get in the grocery store in December or January that came from Mexico or somewhere it traveled. It was picked when it was green. That's the same with medicinal herbs. You know, those ones that you grow in your yard are going to have a lot more powerful punch than the ones that you're going to get from an herb supplier that was dried a long time ago, maybe has been in storage for three years. You don't know what kind of storage, if it was exposed to light. You don't really know how it was dried. And so maybe the, the quality of the herb was compromised while it was being dried. There's a lot of things that go into making sure you have a quality herb when you're using medicinals. When you're drying your herbs, this is uh, my understanding of how I do mine is we want them to obviously be fully dried, but we don't want them exposed to a lot of high temperatures because we don't want them cooked. And sometimes that higher heat, those higher temps can degrade some of the medicinal properties. So when I'm drying mine, if I'm not just air drying them and keeping them out of direct sunlight, but in in a good warm area with good airflow, I always use the lowest setting on my dehydrator, which is 95 degrees Fahrenheit. Is that kind of what you mean by if it wasn't dried the correct way, temperature, or are there other nuances or different things that can also affect it? Temperature, yeah, you want to have the right temperature so that you're not overheating it, but you're not under drying it. And then you end up with something that's moldy and musty. And it's not really something you want to be steeping for longer periods of time and longer amounts because you don't want to steep mold in your tea. But also the heat, heat, we want to keep the nutrients in there. You dry them too hot, then it's going to deplete the nutrients in the herbs. Okay. Now there, I have to say like for me, there's some herbs and probably I should say a little bit of a difference here too, because I think a lot of times, even myself, I almost use this interchangeably what I'm saying, herbs versus spices. Mm Mm-hmm. Because er, most herbs, there are some that are going to depend on your growing climate and everything. But for the most part, herbs, most people in a lot of majority of climates, you can grow a lot of those herbs at home. But a lot of those spices are going to be harder to grow at home. So do you want to maybe give a little bit of a, or is there a difference? Maybe a lot of people do group spices like I do kind of with herbs, but we're more talking about like the leaf or the flower herbs Uh, right now right yes Uh, like cinnamon for instance that doesn't come from but a couple of places in the whole world it's not something people are going to grow or star anise or you know things like that they need a really warm climate uh, tropical usually or desert kind of climate and so those ones are going to be hard to grow but yeah when we talk about growing our own herbs or medicinals in on our property, we're usually referring to leafy herbs like thyme or oregano, and also flowers like calendula and lavender, and even some fruit leaves like raspberry leaf. Yeah, red raspberry leaf is actually one of my favorites. I, I yeah. grow raspberries as well, but I, I also harvest and use those herbs, harvest them in the springtime. But I'm glad that we kind of made that distinction because I think sometimes I'm guilty of this too. Like I, I kind of clump them together get put in together but yeah yeah so if it is an herb that maybe you don't have growing yet because my hope is that all of us myself included that every year I like to add in one or two more to my own herb garden and and things like that so I I can become more self-sufficient and have control over that quality and the harvest and the processing but for Those that maybe are just starting, but they want to start blending and making their own teas and using herbs more, but they don't have them growing yet. 
do you have any type of I don't know if qualifications is quite the right word, but do you have anything that if you are going to be purchasing them, I should say, from somewhere, things that you look for to make sure that they are done in a, a quality manner? Right. A lot of them I grow from seed if possible. There's things like rose petals where you're not going to grow those from seed. And roses in themselves are kind of special because you want to make sure they're not sprayed. And so you really need to know your source. And also with roses, the wild roses have more of the medicinal qualities than the domesticated roses. So there's certain plants where you kind of need to know a bit more. But if you're starting things like thyme or oregano, those can usually be started from seed. You just want to make sure you have good quality seed, maybe organic and non-GMO. Okay. And so now, because you brought up the rose thing, <laughs> um, which, which I love, um, what will you, what would you use rose, especially we're talking about those medicinal properties in those, the older, more cottage type varieties and the wild ones. Right. What are some ways that you actually do use that medicinally or what are some of the medicinal properties that the rose has? Right. So rose petals themselves can be just kind of uplifting and help the mood. And then what roses are really known for are the hips, the uh, fruit of the rose. And those rose hips are just packed with tons of vitamin C, more vitamin C than oranges. And so they're really great for like cold and flu season. And they go really well with like elderberries. Oh, okay. Now, do you have any wild varieties? Say if, you know, where you live, you're out and about and you're like, man, I really don't see very many wild right. varieties or I don't see wild roses growing. So I want to look at getting some. Um, do you have any uh, recommendations or like certain varieties? And I realize when we're talking about this, Sienne's farm and she lives in Oregon, the Pacific Northwest, right. which is, we're sister states. So we have similar growing conditions, but it's going to vary obviously by where you live, but do you have any favorite wild varieties that you grow? You know, I'm kind of spoiled because when we moved here, we unburied a bunch of wild ones, so I haven't had to go looking yet. <laughs> okay, you are very spoiled. So guys, I will do a little bit of research, and in today's show notes, I will, because I've been needing to look up and get some planted on vine, so this is going to kind of give me the kick in the pants that I need. So in the, the show notes for today's post, I will make sure that I give you my findings and we'll have some listings there of some wild rose varieties that all of us can check out to put in our gardens. Yeah, it didn't really come with a tag, so I can't really say exactly <laughs> what it is. I just know it's a wild rose and it was buried enough that it was definitely wild. <laughs> gotcha. So I'll have to ask you, what color is the blossoms on your wild rose? They're kind of a magenta. Okay, very pretty. I think that's one of my other favorite things about growing herbs in the garden. They oftentimes are really beautiful. And even like the thyme and the oregano have some lovely blossoms. So yeah. I always feel like, woohoo, I'm getting like two things at once. Right. I'm getting the beauty and, and herbs. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we were talking earlier about the sage and this one I've really noticed too, because if I'm just drinking a cup of tea for just the pure enjoyment is one right. But when you are making a cup of tea, medicinal-wise, there are some definite steps that you need to do a little bit different when you're brewing that to, to get more out of that herb and to make it a medicinal cup of tea versus just one for enjoyment. So do you want to walk us through the proper steeping time and making yeah. a cup of medicinal tea? 
So when you're making medicinal tea, we have what's called an herbal infusion and then a decoction. A decoction is used more for roots like dandelion root or astragalus root. And when you make a decoction, you are going to use more herb and you're going to boil that in a pot, kind of like a reduction, like a sauce reduction. And when you're making an herbal infusion, you're going to use like three to four times the amount of herbal material. That changes depending on what you're steeping. And then you're going to infuse it for a longer period of time. So where an herbal tea is usually steeped for like five to seven minutes, you're going to steep this one for 20 minutes, maybe longer, depending on what you're doing. And how do you know if it depends on if you do like three to four times as much? Are there a few herbs where you wouldn't want to use that high of a concentration? Uh, yeah, it's going to depend on your blend and just what actions the herbs have and how strong of an action they have. Okay. And then another thing that I did not know when I first started making medicinal teas and or like you said, an herbal infusion is I didn't know that you should cover the top of the cup as it's steeping so that you're not losing yeah. a lot of those things in the steam as it goes out you want it all trapped in the water there and I didn't know that until just a couple of years ago and so now I always cover it but I didn't right. know that before so I just wanted to throw that in there because I was ignorant of that fact <laughs> uh, for, for quite a while I feel like right you don't want those volatile oils escaping in the steam because those are some of your best medicinal properties in there so like peppermint for instance most people are familiar with peppermint essential oil well, when you're steeping a strong infusion of peppermint, you've got some of those oils in there too. If you don't cover it, then they escape because the steam takes it with them. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad that we covered that because like I said, I, for a long time, I was not, I was losing some of the potency right. <laughs> in, right. in those. Work as well, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit more about the right herb for the right person. All right, so I have a good story. We used to sell our teas at the farmer's market, and we had a few wellness teas, and one of them was called <clears throat> Ma's Tummy Tea, and we would have men come over and pick it up, just curious what it was, and then look at it and set it down in a hurry and walk off like they thought touching the tea was going to have make them start nursing. So <laughs> obviously we know that's not going to work, and even if you know, one of us who wasn't nursing a baby would drink it. It's not going to do that to us because we just, it's not the right herb for the right situation. So you really have to have the right herbs for the right person. And then again, if you drink one cup of that, it's not going to do anything to you. But if you, you know, used a daily infusion of that and you're a nursing mother, then it's going to be helpful to you. Okay. And I'm assuming that it was to help aid the milk production. Right, the increased milk production. Okay, very good. And is that milk thistle? I'm trying to remember now. It's been a while, you guys, since I was a nursing mom, and I'm trying uh -huh. to remember some of the main ones that were recommended back then. Right, at the moment, the only one I can remember is fenugreek seed. I'd have to look at the package. We have so many teas, I have troubles remembering which ingredients are in which ones. <laughs> Yes, no, yeah, no, that the wrong. We also have a Ma's tummy tea and they often get mixed up because the names are similar. So we got to look at ingredient list and check because, you know, again, we have like a, 
a fertility tea and it has red raspberry leaf in it. You might know that you don't, you know, there's some caution in using that in the first trimester and even the second trimester. So we have to make sure we've got warnings on there. We don't have, you know, we don't want anything to happen to the person drinking it because they've got the wrong herb in the wrong tea. Yeah. And I think that's really smart because oftentimes, and I know I've talked about this in the past, I've done some different herbal podcasts. So for my regular listeners, you've heard this, but oftentimes there's so many different misconceptions with herbs, honestly, like one, well, they don't work or, you know, those different things that we kind of talked about already, but two, just because it's natural, one, yes, I do believe that natural is best, but it doesn't mean that it's completely safe. It doesn't mean that it's dangerous either, but you really have to do your worst research. And like you said, creating that sheet, understanding the mechanisms and how it's actually working in the body for right. that desired effect or, or what it's recommended to be using for. Um, because there are instances, depending upon the situation and the reason or medical conditions, et cetera, mm-hmm. where it could be harmful and it could be dangerous, but in a different situation, it could be absolutely fine. So I'm right. really, really glad that you brought that up. And one of the other things um, that I think would be great to talk about too, is the how do you decide using a single herb? So for example, we talked about making a sage tea during right. cold and flu season or a peppermint tea. How do you decide, especially with that medicinal aspect in mind, not just flavor, though I do like my tea to taste good too, I'll say. <laughs> But how do you decide or when do you decide between using a singular herb or blending and coming up with multiple herbs in a blended tea? Right. So we use what's called the tea triangle. And there's three sections in this triangle. We've got our primary herbs and those make up the bulk of the tea. And then there's our nourishing and supporting herbs. And those are about 20 to 30 percent of the blend. And then we have our catalyst herbs at the top. And those are about, I'm going to forget my number here, three to 5%. And so it's kind of a formula we use when we're blending our tea. And in that primary herb, we might put the sage there because we want to work on a sore throat. And then that supporting and nourishing section in the middle, that might be some other herb that's got some nutrition in it that's specific to helping, like say a cold or flu because usually the sore throat's coming with those other symptoms. And then at the top, we have our catalyst herbs, and those are the ones that kind of get the other two herbs moving and put them into action. And those are usually kind of a spicy herb. They get the blood flowing, and they get things moving along. Okay. I really like the way that you broke that down and explained it. The other thing that I find really fascinating with the different blends that you've shared with me you know, that we've taught together. And I have to tell you guys when you're listening. So Sian has a new tea blend that was based on my uh, immune boosting tea. And we were going back and forth with what to call it. And so we came up with, because it does definitely help aid the throat. And do you want to share the name that we came up with it? My husband actually named it Yodale Tihu. Which I love because really fun side note. And if you guys will have to tell me if I get enough requests, I may, I have not been brave enough to actually yodel, but I do yodel. Now I'm not like great. 
by any means. I did say Sian was the first person outside of my immediate family who I've ever yodeled for uh, when we were bouncing this back and forth and coming. I need to tell her to yodel. (laughs) (laughs) And so I said it to her in a voice message. But what was really fun is uh, Sian then shared with me that she has a family member who's actually a professional yodeler and they were fantastic. And Anyways, and so that was real. That was really fun. So if enough of you ask, I may, I may yodel either in a YouTube video or like an <laughs> Instagram story. But we'll just see. We'll see if we get the requests. Um, but I love that. Back to my main point. Sorry about that, guys. We got story time. It's a podcast. We get to do s- stories, and I'm a little bit of a squirrel. <laughs> but what I love is the majority of the the herbal teas and the things that you teach and stuff like we said earlier, are items that can easily easily be grown in most climates and in your backyards. You can literally grow your your medicine and then figure out ways to combine it into these different tea blends to be using some as fun just for culinary, but really so that you can blend a tea that does taste good, but really has some great strong medicinal uh, properties to it. And like you said, with that formula that you guys use, which I love making them each work complementary and actually heightening the ability for them to get into the body and to start to do their thing uh, based on the way that you blend it. And so you have come up with, which I think is fabulous because you have been a guest teacher in the Academy for me for, I think at least two years. Mm -hmm. And now you are doing, I'm, and I'm super excited about this. You're doing a free do it yourself tea blending workshop. So do you kind of want to walk us through what's covered in this free workshop? Yeah, we start out by dehydrating some of our own ingredients. We mentioned earlier that, you know, knowing how something was stored and prepared is really important for the quality. So we start out by dehydrating an herb without any equipment. So there's no need to buy anything special and it can be done overnight. And then we move on to blending two teas, one for digestive health and the other for cold and flu. And we go over kind of some of the things we talked about, you know, the quality and the quantity of the herb, that one thing that people usually get wrong with herbs. Okay, I love this. So guys, um, you will be able to go and check out, get signed up for Sian's workshop and you can do so at melissaknorris.com forward slash T. And that will take you straight to the page to get signed up and to go through CN's free course. And I also wanted to say too, because I think sometimes we think we have to have a ton of space in order to be able to grow a lot. And you guys grow a lot at your home on your property, enough actually for your guys's business, which is farmhouse teas. And you're doing this on a business capacity, not just a home capacity on how much space? We have just under two acres. I think it's 1.8 something. And so we, we focus on growing the things that we can't find anywhere else. So we do a lot of like blue bachelor buttons, or maybe there's an herb we can't, or flower that we can't find the quality that we want for it and so we do that here so it really it really depends on which thing I mean obviously like cinnamon we can't grow that here so right yeah same here (laughs) but I love that because you like I said you guys are growing and producing enough of this to actually run a tea business which is going to require a lot larger volume 
in order to support all of this. And also, I love that because I do buy teas from you guys as well, that when I get teas from you, I know that a lot of the ingredients have been grown by your family on your farm um, using natural and organic practices. So that's really cool. But the other reason I really wanted to highlight that for people is because if you're just doing this for your home use, even if you have just a small backyard or even a patio, you're actually going to be able to grow more herbs than I than you probably think you can. So I wanted right. to make sure people knew that. Yeah. Well, right. thank you so much for coming on today. Uh, it was so much fun getting to talk with you and getting people, more people excited about not only growing their own herbs, but making their own medicine specifically with different herbal tea blends. So thank you. Thank you for having me. I hope that you enjoyed that as much as I did. And if you want to look at taking CN's free workshop, this is my affiliate link. So the workshop is totally free. She does have a course at the end, but you're going to learn a lot of stuff in this free workshop. So if you decide to purchase her course, when I say it's an affiliate link, it means that I do make a commission at no extra cost to you. And I thank you so much because that helps me pay the hosting costs and the different costs that are involved with creating this podcast. So that link is melissaknorris.com forward slash tea workshop. So T-E-A as in the tea we drink workshop, all one word, no spaces. And you can get signed up and go through that free training that CN is offering. Now on to our verse of the week. And this is from Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. And I think it's pretty obvious why I chose this verse, because it's talking about the fruit as serving as food and their leaves for healing. And so many of actually our fruit plants, as we talked about in some of the medicinal teas, some of the leaves from your actual fruit plants, like red raspberry, we are eating those red raspberries and they definitely provide us with food, but their leaves can also be used in a tea to provide healing or in a medicinal type tea. So there's the obvious correlation there on why I picked this verse, but the real part that I wanted to focus on. And the other reason that I picked this verse is because it says, that they will bear every month, which for most types of fruits that we've got and or herbs, they don't bear every month. They have a definite season. Um, sometimes those seasons can be prolonged like all summer. Oftentimes it's only a short period of time, like with raspberries or blackberries or blueberries, where it's just for a few weeks, maybe one month. I love that this says that every month that they will bear because that keyword, because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. So as I look at that in a more spiritual aspect, and when we think about our actions and our thoughts and our feelings bearing fruit, I want to be able to bear fruit for the Lord that is good fruit. And I want it to be not just monthly, amen, but daily because I am feeding my spirit with the water, the living water, and that it flows to me and through me. So therefore it can flow out of me 
and I can have a good harvest. So a lot of that is metaphorical speaking, obviously, but I'm talking about reminding and remembering to myself. And I figure if I need this reminder, then you might need this reminder as well to constantly be refreshing myself in the presence of God. So for me, that includes prayer. That's listening to worship or praise music, singing hymns, definitely reading my Bible and even reading Christian historical fiction novels. I know that sounds kind of funny, but the reason I believe that Jesus taught so much with parables and with stories is because when we hear a story and or read a story, if that story is well told, it often can impact us and really open our eyes to certain things. And I find that well-written Christian historical fiction, especially really does that for me and can help me to see um, different aspects of God's love and his character and how he cares about us. And then even different things that have happened in my life. I just find it really eye opening and it can be spiritual uplifting. And especially if it's what they call biblical fiction, where it can be based on characters in the Bible or certain times in the Bible, etc. When I read those historical fiction and I'm, I'm prep, I'm wanting to make sure I'm saying fiction stories there it will make me go back into the Bible because oftentimes it's around Old Testament characters or stories. And it will make me go back to the verses and to the actual biblical content that the story was based upon and make me dive back into that and back into the word of God. So it kind of works as like a full circle there of getting me immersed and having that flowing come through me, that living water. So hopefully that didn't sound too woo woo for you guys, but I just wanted to share that with you. And again, I wanted to thank you so much for joining me for today's episode. And I can't wait to be back here with you next Wednesday for our next episode. We'll talk soon. Mm-hmm.